Uh, we've covered uh, gratitude and we've covered promise keeping. Uh, this, our third week, we're going to talk about truth telling. And uh, when I think about truth telling, um, you know, I always thought that uh, I was, you know, a very convincing liar when I was a little kid. Like, I would tell my parents stories, and I thought for sure they would buy into it. Well, uh, now that I'm a parent, I see right through it, and uh, I don't really think that I was as good of a liar as I thought myself to be. And so, Oliver, I always know when you're fibbing, you know, just remember that. Tell the truth. So, truth-telling. You know, it's, uh, it's within Scripture, it's pretty explicit that we are to be a truth-telling people. I opened with John 14 because Jesus declares himself to be the way, the truth, and the life. Foundationally, we know that the truth for this world is Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. In Ephesians, it is the gospel of our salvation that is the truth for the world. We sort of need this guiding compass for us of what is true, what is good, what is right. And for each and every one of us, I, I believe I, I can say uh, pretty firmly that we believe that truth to be Jesus, that he is the sort of guiding compass and truth for each and every one of us. Now we know and as we navigate the world that the compass for the world is not always Christ. But for us, our guiding foundation, our principles, all of our lives are founded on Jesus as Lord and Savior. And he is the truth. And so then it, it stands pretty clear and simple for us that as a community of people, uh, we should be a truth-filled people, a group of people who can tell one another the truth, who can, uh, who can tell one another about Christ, but also tell one another the truth about ourselves, the truth about what's going on in our lives. And this, I think, is where the breakdown is. I knew I wouldn't get a whole lot of pushback on saying Jesus is the truth. You guys are like, all right, I already know this one. But how about being truthful and honest with one another? Could we maybe have uh, a little room of, for improvement there uh, and being honest and open and vulnerable? Uh, think about the very first community of Christians that have gathered. They've just heard the greatest sermon from Peter uh, in which he convicted all of them and, and convincingly teaching them that Jesus is the Lord and Messiah. He says, uh, this Jesus whom you crucified is both Lord and Messiah. And it says in Acts 2 that the people are struck in the heart and they say, how, how do we respond to this? What, what do we do? And struck to the heart, convicted, they, uh, Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, uh, for the forgiveness of your sins and gift of the Holy Spirit. All of them are baptized. And then what we get is the picture of this very first community of people who've gathered together, and it's in Acts 2.42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone to, uh, to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their num number daily those who are being saved. 
if you want to talk just briefly for a moment about the restoration movement, we are a group of Christians that are trying to find this community and have these practices and take this very seriously. That when we gather together, we would study God's word, that we would be a people, that find ourselves growing in Christ and learning the truth of God's word, that we would break bread together. Uh, we take that to mean that we would break bread in the Lord's Supper and remember Christ's death, that we would uh, that we would sing uh, worshipfully and, and glorify God in our gathering. So this very first community has got a lot of good things going for it. Everybody was selling their possessions and caring for one another and meeting each other's needs. Well, it's just a short while later that we get a sort of disruption of the unity in in this community of believers. It's in Acts chapter 5, and it's the familiar story, and I've asked Wendy to come up and sing the song. She's shaking her head. She, when I said I was doing Ananias and Sapphira, she she uh, came up with the old campfire song. And I don't know all the words to it, and you don't want me to sing it either. So we're just going to have to read the story. We'll just go with that. It's in Acts chapter 5. It says, Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him up and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you conspire to test the Spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At at that moment she also fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Now, the story of Ananias and Sapphira kind of get us a little bit frightening about, or frightened about telling lies in church, you know. And so I always know if you tell me that I had a good sermon today, I know you're telling the truth because of the Ananias and Sapphira, right? You all are very fearful of dropping, dre- uh, dropping dead right there on the spot. Why does, why does God respond this way? Why, why this dramatic of uh, and traumatic of a of a scene, two people dropping dead over this lie. You know, it's it's you know at at the onset of it, is it really that that big of a deal, God? They sold their possessions and they gave a good significant portion of it, and they kept some of it back for themselves. The the issue is the deception. The issue is the lie. 
the issue is not that they, if they would have said, we sold it for this and we decided to give this, it would have all been great and fine. But what they were doing was this deception of wanting to appear more righteous than that, what they were. Wanting to appear generous when in fact they had a spirit of greed. And so uh, I appreciate uh, appreciate N.T. Wright's take on it. He said, this was the new temple. This was the new, like the church was God's new temple. The spirit was on these people. It was the spirit of God was present and among them. If you, if you were in Old Testament times and you went into the Holy of Holies and into the spirit and into the presence of God and you were carrying with yourself some sin, uh, you would have dropped dead too. It was very serious to enter into the presence of God. And so this, so Wright says that maybe perhaps this is just showing just how um, holy the presence of God is. That this community is unified and founded on the truth of Christ. And so what they do, Ananias and Sapphira, is their lie and deceptions, it breaks the unity of this new creation this new good and wonderful thing that God has started, they sort of brought in lies and deception. And and what we catch here is the importance of truth for community. We live in such a fragmented, broken world that God wants for us to be these unified people who love one another and care about each other deeply and care enough about each other that we can share the truth with one another. That we can be honest. That we can be vulnerable. That we can be a people who love and care for one another. And I think about all the things that sort of undermine that. Being critical of one another. It's hard to be honest with each other when we think on the other end of it it's going to be some criticism. Or maybe on the other end of it it might be some disappointment. Fear of that we might let you down and let your uh, let you down of your expectations of each other, right? There's some very serious things going on. Like why why can't we be honest and vulnerable and tell each other the truth? It might be embarrassing to tell the truth. It might be hurtful. It might be something that sort of stirs in us and causes all kinds of anxiety to say, you know, I'm going through this. But God is calling us to live a life of unity and love in a broken and fragmented world. And I think about uh, I think about this whole thing just sort of playing out on an individual level. You know, the whole key is really for me that if I'm going to live a truthful life, I want to live a well-integrated life. And what I mean by that is who I am in private also needs to be the same person that I am in public. Who I am with my family needs to be the same person that I am with you and with uh, myself out in the community. And particularly when I'm driving down the road and there's someone annoying me and no one else in the car. That I would be the same person in each and every one of those situations. And what I find is, is it's really hard to always be consistent. It's hard to be genuine. It's hard not to just put a smile on your face and pretend like everything's okay. You know, I I uh, like this guy on Twitter. 
and his name's James Friedman, and he is a master photoshopper. And I know that 90% of my audience doesn't know what a photoshopper is, and that's okay. You don't need to be conversant with Adobe Photoshop to appreciate it. I hope you will find this to be funny. Hint, hint. It's okay to laugh at this. Um, I don't know if you'll think it's that great or not. So what James Friedman does is he gets thousands of people writing into him to doctor photos. And so they want him to fix it up so that they can post the picture online and it can appear the way they want it to. So they're trying to fix their image. They're trying to paint a sort of picture of having things together. And so this young man, he has what looks like his picture with his girlfriend, and he says, hey, James, you're amazing at editing. I was wondering if you could make the phone in my pocket disappear. It's really noticeable. Unfortunately, it's not really noticeable in our net, <laughs> but it's in his lower pocket. All right, and this is what James does for him. Oh, thank you, Jared. That was nice. All right. So he took the phone out of his pocket for him. All right. Thank you. All right. There is people with my sense of humor out there. All right. So now uh, here's a wedding photo. I mean, it's beautiful. I love this picture of my husband and I, but I wish the car... Uh, was no longer there or something like that. All right. So he took care of it. So he took care of the problem. All right, I got a few more of those. Hey, bro, can you take the broom out? There's a broom right behind uh, the guy. Sure. All right, I thought that was pretty humorous. Okay, the haircuts these days. This one is really creative. Hi, James. You're totally cool. On this pick, I forgot to take my glasses off. Could you remove them? And so he, he took his glasses off, and he's actually, so there's the guy taking the picture, and there's the glass. Go back to the other thing. Uh, go back one, please, Jared. So he's actually got the straws on there. It's like, the guy's amazing. It's, it's hilarious. All right, anyways, there should be one more. Oh, now there's two more. Uh, so these guys, they uh, he says, hey, can you please edit this picture so my brother and I wear the same T-shirt? Thanks. <laughs> and then uh, he gets a lot of people looking uh, for help with their self-image. And this is why I love the guy. He says, hey, James, I love your work. You're hilarious. And knowing you, you probably won't do this. And I know you... Uh, and I know you get this message a lot, but here goes. Okay, so I've struggled with my weight ever since I was like seven. I've tried everything to lose weight, too. I've done sports, ate healthy exercises, took pills, legit everything. But I still remain fat. Please just make me skinny for once. It would be a huge favor. I just want to see what I would look like if I was pretty. So this is what he did to edit it. Nothing. Skinny doesn't necessarily mean pretty. Don't let the struggle of trying to lose weight take the fun out of your life. Stay active, eat healthy, and let yourself be happy just the way you are. I don't know if this guy's a Christian or not, but he's trying to do good things and encourage people and pick on boys with bad haircuts. Um, but uh, but it's this, this is a little glimpse of the culture uh, that a lot of you are looking at from afar and wondering, you know, how are these kids navigating the world? And for them... Their world is to edit the picture 
and make it appear like they have things all together. And maybe it's just a slightly nuanced thing of taking a phone out of their pocket, or it might be to alter their image, take away a double chin. It might be to project something onto whatever social media site they're trying to get on so that they can show themselves as happy, they can show themselves healthy, they can show themselves uh, to have their life well put together. And it's all about these things. And I know that there's probably not a single person in this room that's going to go home and use Photoshop. But I know that all of us are busy actively sort of self-editing our image. We want people to think that we have it together. And so we might edit out the frustrations. We might edit out the struggles. We might edit out the sins. When we tell stories, and this is the thing that uh, is sometimes heartbreaking. I'll tell a story, and then some people, sometimes people are like, is that true? And it's totally 100% true, I think most of the time. I'm not embellishing. I can't say that, you know, that I'm perfect. But it's because preachers would tell stories, and they would twist it so much and to make it fit for the point that they're no longer believable. And it's just kind of like, you know, that's, um, I understand because most of my stories are pretty boring, so you need to fluff them up a little bit. But I swear my dog's name is Michael, and that that story did happen, or whatever, that was a long time ago. Michael Jordan, yeah, that's pretty embarrassing. But that's the thing is, if there's an embarrassing story, we sort of gloss over it. If there's something that we can make a little bit better about ourselves, we do that. And so I wonder sometimes, are we really all that truthful with ourselves and the presentation of ourselves? And I think about it sort of in my uh, little flip in a little different way. Think about when we when we leave here, when we leave here, when we enter into our workplace, what do we edit out of our lives? Do we edit out Christ and our allegiance to Him? When we go home and we treat our, uh, spend time with our family, do we edit out patience and love and kindness? When we are interacting with people, do we edit out things to sort of present ourselves in the way that we want to be seen? When we're traveling, if you're, if you travel a lot for work, are you the same person when no one's looking? So when I think about living an honest and good life and truthful community, it's all about integration. It's all about integrity. It's about being truthful with myself, being truthful with others, and being truthful before God. And I think that that's, that's something that's not always communicated to all of us as Christians of what our pursuit is. It's this pursuit of being transformed into the image of Christ, being renewed into the truth for the world. If we want to look at the perfect person, it's Jesus Christ, and He is our true north. He is our guiding compass. He is our example. We are called to be transformed into His image, into the very image of our Creator to reflect His goodness and His kindness and His grace in this world. And I think God is doing a work in us, in our relationships, and with our relationship with, with Him. So I think about how do I live a life of integrity? What can help us in this? 
And one of the things is uh, you guys don't have to do anything. You don't have to do a thing. You think, oh, what's the sermon about and what do I got to go do because of it? You don't have to do a thing. Because being a part of a small community is is one of the first major steps a part of living a life of integrity. If my uh, if my lawn isn't mowed correctly, people know because they drive by and they know that's Jordan's house, and we know exactly who you are, and we know exactly where you live, and we know exactly what you're up to. We live in a small community, and you spend time with the same people. You go to lunch with the same people. You go to church with the same people. You likely work with the same people, and you're spending day in and day out with the same people whether you like it or not. We're stuck together. And that is actually integral in growing integrity in our lives because we spend time with the same people. And they'll see us at work. They'll see us at worship. They will see us uh, at lunch. They will see us, and we'll be together. And that's one of the key things is actually eliminating anonymity in your life. I don't like being anonymous in the sense of uh, when I go to the grocery store at midnight, you're kind of like there's no one there and it's like you can just go and roam free or whatever. In the city, uh, being in the city, like you could walk around with toilet paper on your shoe and the subway and no one would know, hey, that's Jordan and look at him. He has toilet paper on his shoe. Like you could do whatever you want because you have anonymity. People don't know who you are. And when there's not that sense of accountability, our integrity starts dropping. And so it becomes a very real struggle when we are alone to maintain our integrity. And so what I, when I think about my life, and when I think about growing in Christ, I want to ruthlessly eliminate anonymity in my life. If I were a traveling businessman, if I were on the road a lot, I would struggle to always remain and keep my integrity. Because I would have anonymity at at my disposal. And so rather than just condemn it, your work is going to take you places. If you're a worker that travels a lot and you need someone to just help you not be anonymous, say, hey, I'm going here. You can take my phone number and you can text message me. And I'll text message you at 11 o'clock at night and say, hey, I hope you're doing all right, and now's the time to go to bed. There is a level of integrity that we are called to, to living honest and open lives, where we can be vulnerable and broken and hurting together and live in genuine, true, biblical community. Where it's not received with condemnation, but a spirit of let's grow up in Christ and let's be Let's be more like him every day and grow in him and grow in his image. How do we live a life of integrity? How do we live lives where we seek first Christ and his kingdom? How do we live truthful lives? I think that if we would just pursue, pursue one another in loving and welcoming ways, be honest and open and encouraging. I think that we hold fast to Christ as the truth of our lives. We built uh, we built the play set over the last couple of weeks. 
there are 111 steps to the playset. I want you all to appreciate that. And each step was consulted uh, probably, what, five, six, seven times, Isaac? And you're keeping an eye on where the dots were. Okay, the dots are all facing this way, and maybe we have it right. Well, Saturday morning, we had done some setup already, and we got some things together, and there were a couple boards that we thought we had set up right, but I'm not sure if we ever really did or not, or if the pilot holes were driven right. But it was the foundation piece to build the whole tower that was a part of it. And it was just like, man, this is not coming together very well. And it took us like a good hour, hour and a half just to do this one part. And it was just like, oh, Jesus might come back before we get this thing done. And um, But it was all, it was the foundation piece. And there were things where, you know, the back there, we tried having the ground level and having the right foundation for it. But if, if we don't get the right foundation, we're going to have a trouble, we're going to have a hard time building true biblical, faithful community. And so I can talk about integrity, I can talk about all these different things that we could probably go try and do, but really, foundationally, Jesus has to be the foundation of our lives. And just like what happened in Acts 2.42, we have to build from that community. And there are going to be problems and things that we have to deal with and, and trust and know that Jesus knows what's best moving forward. And finally, I just think about resisting the, uh, I think, the arrogance and the pride of image management. You know, I, I can think of a handful of times where I felt like I was going to have a breakdown because... Because who I wanted to be and who I was weren't matching up. You know, um, there's a great illustration by Gordon McDonald. I talked about building below the waterline. And I, I think I've used the illustration before, but it works well here. He talks about building the building of the Brooklyn Bridge. And they were building, in, uh, building uh, just uh, the bridge uh, with tons and tons of concrete. And they were bringing in load after load of concrete. And it was after, you know, several months of bringing in all the concrete and the people were just like, okay, you're doing all of this work, but we're not seeing any production. What's going on? And, and, he, and the construction guys were like, well, we're building below the water line. They're bringing in all that concrete to supply the strength and support that needed below the, uh, below the water line to hold and sustain the bridge. That's still one of the busiest bridges in America today, the Brooklyn Bridge, still in great use, in part because the foundation was true and good and strong. If we're going to grow in Christ, if we're going to be honest and vulnerable and truthful with one another, I think we have to keep in mind that we're building our lives on Christ. Resist the sort of image management and what Gordon MacDonald says is the greater the difference between our public, what is seen and our private life so who I am in private and who I am in public the greater the divide the greater the depression the anxiety, the frustration the more likelihood that you'll have breakdowns and he says the goal is, is to mesh these two so closely 
that who you are in private and who you are in public are so well integrated that you live a full life in a, fra in a fragmented and broken world. My encouragement to all of us is simply this. Seek the truth of Christ and let the truth of Christ set you free from all of these burdens of trying to self-edit and make ourselves look better than what we are. Because the gospel tells us this simple and incredible truth. That Jesus Christ died on the cross and he's forgiven us of our sin. That you might have new life in him and eternal life with God. And friends, that gift is not an image to be managed, it's a gift to be received. And it comes with the power of His Spirit to renew and transform us and to renew us in the image of our Creator. We need to stop using the edit button and trust in God for His delete button to delete our forgive, uh, forgive us of our sins. And trust and know that God is making us new and have life in Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love You so much. And I thank You for today. Thank you for the gift of life and hope that each of us carry in your Son, Christ. And I pray, God, that you would lead us to follow you, to follow you in the way of truth and life, knowing that your Son, Jesus, is leading us to you, to a life with you in peace and hope. And ask God that you would help us to live a truthful life where we are honest with one another, we would forgive and care for one another in a way that honors you. God, we love you and we thank you for Christ. We ask that you would guide us forward. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Truthfulness is not something that we uh, hear people or see people holding to very well. Politicians, they don't tell us the truth. They tell us what they think we want to hear. Spouses can often feel like they can't be open and honest about what's happening in their lives. Friendships can be broken when truthfulness is no longer experienced. When a friend lies to you or deceives you, it's hard to continue in friendship. The very fabric that holds this church together is the truthfulness of Jesus and it's the truth about the world and who God is and what he's done through his son Jesus he is the way he is life he is truth he is the true one the living one who died on the cross and he rose from the dead he's the firstborn of the new creation and a new community is here and it's in that foundation is love is grace and truth of Jesus Christ. Friends, will you stand? And will you embrace the way of Jesus, the life of Jesus, and the truth of Jesus? Embrace Him and give your allegiance only to Christ Jesus.